0: Hi, my name is Mark Boutros, and we're here um, with the fifth installment of the Tech Bridge Sweden UK series. We're in the ambassador's residence, and we're about to have a great conversation about food, food waste, and food tech. Ambassador.
1: It's great that we have again been able to find some really interesting both Swedish and British company that's working in this area and I'm excited to listen to what they have to say. We've talked about cybersecurity, we've talked about digital health, we've talked about fashion and a number of other things and tonight it's a new theme but again uh, we've managed to find some really really interesting both British and Swedish companies in this area.
0: Tonight's companies are really fascinating especially from Um, Sweden, because they're really looking at um, food technology as a way of solving logistics and supply chain issues related to food distribution. And Olio, one of the brands that's really looking at household waste, that's also just entered into the Swedish market. So it's really fascinating to see how these three startups are working in both markets um, interconnectedly. On the panel tonight, we're going to hear from Sasha Celestial One, founder at Olio, Elsa Bernadotte, COO and founder at Karma, Christopher Hogstedt at YWaste, Nicholas Ekstedt, Swedish star chef and restaurateur, and Darren Goldsby, chief digital officer at Jamie Oliver Group. with some of the panelists. And I have a question to ask each of you. What, in your opinion, is the biggest issue related to food waste?
2: Hi, I'm Sasha. I'm the co-founder of Olio. Olio is the world's only neighbor-to-neighbor food sharing app, connecting neighbors and volunteers with local shops so that good food can be shared, not wasted. And in my opinion, the biggest issue is consumer indifference. Um, I still think that most people have become accustomed to food waste as part of their normal everyday lives. And um, it's um, do a course correction um, as more um, sort of mainstream consumers become aware of um, just how scandalous it is and how bad it is for the environment. Um, so I'm hoping, like, recycling, in the next five or ten years, it will become something that's just considered taboo.
3: So my name is Christopher, and I'm the co-founder of Waste. We deliver digital solutions to grocery stores to help them work more data-driven to uh, reduce food waste. In my opinion, I think the biggest issue with with the food waste is that uh, it happens all through the value chain, and it's no transparency around it. So basically, everyone talks about that one third of the food that are produced get wasted, but there is no transparency in each and every part of the, of the process or life cycle. Uh, I think it requires more data to actually know what actions to take. So more data-driven understanding of, of food waste.
4: Hi, I'm Elsa. I'm one of the founders of Karma. Karma is an app and a technical solution where we help restaurants and grocery stores to solve their food waste, where they can sell their surplus food at a discounted price directly to consumers that pick up the food as takeaway. And uh, one of the biggest issues uh, with food waste today, I'd say, is not only our own behavior, where we've, you know, we've changed our way, where we, we adapt resources to our own needs, whereas we used to adapt our own behavior to the resources we had at hand. So that's one of them, but I would also say there's been a lack of you know, available solutions where it's easy and frictionless and rewarding rewarding to actually be part of the solution. Um, but we do have those solutions now, so I'm very positive to solving the issue.
5: Hi, I'm Darren, I'm Chief Digital Officer at Jamie Oliver Group. Um, I think there's some really good answers here. And I guess from my perspective, thinking about it from a consumer perspective, there's an element of carrot and stick here. If we're going to look at the consumers of food and the way that they waste, I think there's a fear around best before dates and used by dates. There's a lack of knowledge as to what to do with what's left. Um, And I think it's really important that we help people, as well as make it a taboo thing to waste food, we help people to understand how best to use that food in a great and nutritious way to really enjoy cooking with that food.
2: Consumers need to start to understand how their individual behaviour at scale, like we can't all be above average drivers, we can't all not have any food waste, like someone's wasting food. Um, and um, if you start to recognize how your own behavior interlinks with everyone else's, then and we just start to all decide collectively that we're going to be a little more conscientious about our food waste. It will make a big difference.
6: But in Sweden, we have very strong seasons, and that's a seasonal problem. It's like you can really tell now with the Instagram generation, kind of like they really want stuff really early because mm-hmm. they kind of see stuff on Instagram early on the season, kind of when the fr- like tomatoes too early or. or or, you know, anything that, you know, mm-hmm. like, like lamb is the best example in Sweden. It's like spring lamb is the worst lamb in Sweden. I mean, in Sweden you eat lamb in fall, but everyone like, it, you know, coming up to Easter, people mm-hmm. like take pictures of like, you know, like the lamb steak and stuff like that. And then they come into the restaurant, like, oh, it's your lamb. And I'm like, well, if, if you know, I can only serve you like frozen New Zealand lamb now. The Swedish lamb is, is you know, starts in September. And then by September, people are, you know, no, oh, we had lamb in spring, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, it, it's like people really don't know their seasons. Yeah. It's yeah. scary, kind of, how, how they know. And, the, you know, same thing with a lot of other things, like even imports, like oranges. And, uh, and uh, I, I, you know, one thing that I could uh, tell, you know, th- when I thought that the industry really kind of, like, uh, uh, plays a prank on people, it's uh, blood orange. Mm because I love blood oranges when they come, but they're very short season, the Italian blood oranges. It's in February, a couple of weeks when frost hits the trees and they can pick them. But then they had, like, uh, Tropicana. They serve fresh uh, blood orange juice all year round. And, uh, and, and, you know, you can really, you know, it's, it's, that's something that, you know, you need to be aware of these things, that when things are in season, I think if people knew that, you, would have, you, know, you could do very good on, on food waste. Mm. But that's interesting for, for you with Y-Waste, to talk about
0: seasonality of food and, and really understanding the data-driven insights from that. Exactly,
3: yeah, exactly. So, so basically, a lot of this you can actually understand if you look at the statistics. And you know, some experienced people that have worked a long time in a store, they have actually built up an intuition mm. around it based on you know, experience and, mm. and data to some extent. What what is a big problem is that this data there is it's really hard to, to get transparency and to get insights out of it. And that's actually the whole what we're trying to trying to change. To actually use the data to see, you know, effects from early years and to come with insights. So basically give recommendations to stores based on data, what should you do to avoid food waste.
6: Yeah. It's like my, my store now in Stockholm where I live. They serve, they sell apples from Argentina yeah.
5: in the middle of mm. the Swedish apple season. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, there'll be an, there'll be an import been tariff from zero for ago. that. Yeah. That's
5: a reason to do. or yeah. yeah. a consumer piece as much as it yeah. is a, um, a grocer piece because we've got to help people to understand how to use these seasonal products well. I think that there's a bit there's a space there and i know people have tried to do it you know how do we help people to get used to seasonal produce and not be so spoiled and we're all spoiled let's Mm. be really honest you know maybe if technology has spoiled us maybe technology can wrap it back a bit and say hey you know here's a particular green vegetable or here is a meat that's absolutely perfect this time of year here's stuff to do with it and hey those things you got in the corner make a lovely banana you know banana cake but
6: waiting for something as well waiting for it can be great. It's like the crayfish in Sweden, you know. You know it, it, it's a great, I mean, if you look at the culture, I mean, I, I teach a lot of Swedish this, why do you eat dill to, for the crayfish? Because when the dill bloomed, the flower from the dill, that was when the crayfish was in season. It was the only time of year you could fish the crayfish. And then when the, when the dill died, you stopped f- mm. fishing crayfish. But then there was some idiot that, you know, <laughs> no, 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 I'm not doing this. I'm not keeping traditions. Let's. Just, fish this all year round and it completely ruined the, the, the crayfish in Sweden the, and it wasn't sustained and then they had to import chinese crayfish and now it's all basically all bad crayfish mm. and uh, it was just because we ruined this beautiful tradition that we had and we had to you know we had to have crayfish longer than 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 for a couple of weeks and so it's it's a problem that we want christmas eve all year round nowadays it's like it's not Sustainable.
4: Yeah. But what you're sort of talking about is that we live in this just in time society right now. Yeah. Like we've gotten accustomed to getting what we want when we want it. So our mindsets have shifted from, you know, if you just look 100 years back, our mindset were probably more about what resources do we have? And then we adapted. And that was sort of how some great dishes were made, like Bonabes or Koukouva, because we just looked at what we had and thought like how can we innovate on this, whereas now it's like you can get food anytime when you want, you can get it delivered to your door and that has made us change and I'm wondering if will it really be enough to just tell people we've changed, we need to go back or can we create incentives for people to actually be rewarded for going back in that behaviour? So, we, that's should, where so we should be rewarded
5: solutions. that it's Christmas Eve.
4: Exactly. <laughs> no, but I'm thinking like that's that's where these counter-solutions yeah. come in. Because oh, yeah.
5: rewarded for eating full lamb.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, <but laughs> yeah. Or,
0: or <laughs> punished for not having blueberries in January? Yeah. yeah. I mean, is that that's an interesting question? Is to say, yeah. then I can have to adhere to the seasonality of fruits and vegetable cycle for a country in Mm. the north. There's a little
2: bit of game theory there. Like, who's going to go first? Mm.
5: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: So so, So, I'm going to sacrifice my blueberries and then the rest of you can enjoy them all year round. I think the grocers
5: want to do it. When we talk to grocers and we partner with a few, they talk about wanting to promote fresh seasonal produce, Mm -hmm. they're a bit scared of it. And in a world where everybody expects everything and you haven't got the data to support choice, Mm. you give them everything, Mm. because it's the easiest thing to do. When you start to get the data that proves the value of doing the things you do, and you connect that up with the marketing, the communications, the content, Mm. then you start to walk people into a store and help them to understand what to choose today. And then what you've got is better quality at a better price, your margins are probably higher because you're getting it at the right time from the right place and you're mm. selling it quickly mm. or passing it on to someone else. I think they're trying. I think it's just a massive shift mm. to make. And I think the combination of you know, the technology that helps us to understand what people are looking for and maybe connecting that with technology that sees how they're being inspired mm. alongside the, the, um, you know, the, the ability then to kind of market it really well and give people a bit more information, a bit more knowledge at the beginning of their grocery journey. It's really hard, you know, you talk about inspiring people to cook and inspiring people to eat. It's really easy just to pick up your phone, press three buttons and get food delivered to your door. Mm. And you kind of forget to cook. Mm. But it's also your respect respect for the product. Yes, but you only get that if you you use the product and you're involved in the product. If it comes in a silver tray with a white top on it and you just drop it on a plate, your respect's gone, isn't it?
2: Mm.
6: Yeah, that's, that's what's difficult today is that food is so easy to get and you get it like packed and like you get it everywhere. So you lose the respect for the labor and the work and the farmer that put in a lot of effort to it. I'm in the library speaking with chef Niklas Ekstedt,
0: one of Sweden's best chefs and uh, one of my personal favorites. Uh, he and I are going to talk about food and food culture. Thank you.
6: Tell me a little bit about your restaurants. You have two restaurants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I do run two restaurants in Stockholm, in the very middle of Stockholm, just uh, just next to Stureplan, which is the very central of Stockholm. And uh, one of them, the most famous one of them, is, is called after me, and uh, where I cook uh, over open fire. So I go back to the roots how we used to cook in the Scandinavian countries 200, 300 years ago. I don't use an electricity for the cooking, so I use a lot of birch wood in my stove and my oven and my open fire cooking. So the smell and the ambience in the restaurant is very kind of like rustic and pretty... It, it, everyone has a, you know, remembers the visit. Tell me about your other restaurant. Uh, my other restaurant is a little smaller, but uh, way busier. <laughs> uh, so we do more covers there, even if the size is a little smaller. It's all about organic, biodynamic food and natural wines. What does biodynamic mean? Uh, It's uh, taking organic a little further. So working even closer to you. So you don't use in in wine, you don't use, you use less additives. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, it really appeals to me because I think that wine should just be, you know, uh, juice and uh, that's it. I don't think you should put you know additives, or put add a lot of stuff into food. I like food simple, and I, I prefer to add techniques, or add more kind of a complicated technical aspect. So that's why natural wines really, and biodynamic wines really appeal to me, because they're very this they're that version of uh, wine. And you have two books. Yeah, just one recently. So w- the, my first book is, uh, is about my open fire cooking and the Nordic analog kitchen, how to use less electricity and less gadgets and use the heat, the heat source of fire and so on. And when I was working on that, I did a lot of like research in different places. And a lot of the places that I did travel to were on the National Geographic zones of the blue zones, if you've heard of them. I haven't. Helped. Okay, so it's National Geographic's research on the areas in the world where people have, live long. So where they have more 100-year-old per capita. So if, so you can go to like Ikaria, Okinawa. There's several places in the world where people live longer. Okay. And uh, when you visit these places, usually people are very off-grid. They use less gadgets. They use less techniques. They live, you know, in an older way. Uh, they usually walk instead of taking the car they eat uh, traditional food they drink wine with le- you know locally made wine that's real wine and I kind of like I was traveling with Henrik Enhart Henrik is a journalist at the Svenska Dagbladet in Sweden and he writes a lot about um, these things and then he kind of he and, and I, I think I I don't know if it was me or him I kind of joked that I said, like, not only do these people like, live longer, they're also happier. They seem to all have a smile on their face. And then he said, you know, it's funny because a lot of these areas in the world where, you, where, where cooking and food is kept, they kept their traditions, they usually are happier. And then he started looking into the science of it and wrote an article about it in the newspaper. And I wrote like a couple of recipes and it was the most shared article that year in Svenska Dogblad It's online. So, yeah. So then the publishers asked us if we wanted to do a book about it. So that's how we started on. So give me some insights on happiness and food. Are there foods that you should eat to make you happier? Well, yes. (laughs) Uh, I mean, food and happiness is is linked together and mood and wellness and how your brain works is very linked to what type of cuisine or type of diet you have. So you should definitely eat more vegetables. Like everything from uh, that's from the vegetable or the are are great for you. I mean, I can go into more details which vegetables you're supposed to eat when. Or you could just eat. buy the book. Or you could just buy the book. But then, like for example, rye is great for you. Also, eating sweets and sugar and candy on like chosen uh, moments in your life. So eating like a big piece, a lot of ice cream with a lot of chocolate sauce, choose your moment and then just, you know, dive into it.
0: Choose your moment and choose your food. Yes. Is there any correlation in your experience between food and socializing? So like are people yes. happier when they eat together? Yes. Or Because yeah. we're seeing a lot of kind
6: of takeout and delivery. Yeah. And, So what's actually scary is that a lot of they've done a lot of research there, and especially in prisons in the U.S. and it's kind of sad to read it because a lot of the people that are in prison have this uh, have that thing in common that they lack a meal in their life. They never really had a meal with their family, either their mother or father or their their own kids. So actually, you know, it a meal is way more it's is proving to be way way more important than we ever thought. And also religious ceremonies coming into food, like even you know a lot of research is now coming into actually pray you know g- giving a, a grace before before eating, it re- is really good for for you. So the ritualization around food traditions is important. Yeah, makes more sense than we ever thought. So don't I mean you don't have to thank God, <laughs> but you asking. can thank you God. can you can thank but him. You- but I thank the farmer or the the chef or the. Or who's who's cooked it. before So you have eating. to just demonstrate some sort of gratitude. Exactly. Show sort of you know show gratitude towards your food and breathe in and breathe out and then eat. And you should don't eat. don't like attack it like a lion. You know. <laughs> Unless you're high, Um, and then do you no no no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that that being high is good. I'm just saying that sometimes chocolate ice cream is chocolate ice cream is really good. That's what the chef has said.
0: Sometimes chocolate ice cream is really
6: good. Eating socializing is really important, and uh, it also slows down the meal a little bit if you have a conversation. So it's not actually like having the conversation or socializing with the people around you. It's more that food today is eaten fast, super fast. I mean, it's almost five times faster than we ate hundred years ago. We eat, we consume our food. And so, to, so a lot of, you know, a lot of people eat too fast and that makes their gut, you know, more, you know, not the, the, not the gut uh, bacteria not as good, the health. So we, what we do, what we need to do is we need to slow down the meal and eat a little slower. And some and another way to do that is to eat with chopsticks for example. It's really good. It slows down your eating. Eating with a spoon or fork sometimes it makes you eat like a too shovel. F- yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like a shovel.
0: That's so funny. Yeah. I love the correlation between happiness and food.
6: Mm. And I love the idea. It makes
0: sense though. Of course it yeah, makes a lot. Of because
6: sense. if you eat well, you'll you're going to have, you know, you're going to be happier, you know, you're going to be feel better. As a chef, mm.
0: can you talk to us about wasted food? In your restaurants
6: yeah, I mean, food waste is, is of course one of our biggest tasks coming into the future It's something that we everyone needs to work on, and it 's something we can only do together, but of course, working with food, I have a bigger burden, and I need to do even more than the average person. so I look at it in a big scale, I mean because food waste is done in so many different levels, and so early stage food way. So the way I do it is that I try to collaborate with farmers and work with my suppliers coming down the chain so I can start with them and telling them what I'm going to cook in 3 months or 4 months time. So they know what they can plant, what they can what we can harvest. And if you if you have a connection with a farmer, you learn the seasons, you can learn how how, what, what, what's, what's in season and what, what, should, what I should buy. A problem with a lot of young cooks and a lot, a lot of young new restaurants are that they're not familiar with how complicated and how hard it is to actually farm food. So that's really important that, you know, that we learn to eat in season because that can really shorten and make less food waste.
0: I'm here with Sasha Celestial One, founder of Olio. Hello. And we just had a really fantastic chat about food waste. And I think one of the things that I loved most about our conversation was your narrative around um, issues related to food waste. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Sure. So um, it's it's when you start to um, understand the scale of food waste, it can be rather mind-blowing. Because um, a third, if not half, of all food that's produced globally goes to waste. And um, about half that food ta- food waste takes place in our homes, um, so it's really easy to blame the supermarkets and think that food waste is happening somewhere else. But actually, um, at scale, individual households are responsible for the vast majority of food waste in places like the UK. Um, but meanwhile, um, you know, one in nine people go to bed hungry on the planet. Um, there's more than enough food to. Um, feed all of us but it's um, a a bit of an issue of redistribution um, a bit of we live in a globalized food supply system it's an issue of um, modern-day consumers becoming um, just expecting to have convenience and choice and abundance um, and the price of food falling which means that we tend to buy more than we're going to eat and not feel very much guilt about uh, wasting the food that we that we don't um, don't eat so
0: when we think about consumer food waste Um, are we talking about food that is just thrown away because we're bored of it or because it's spoiling?
2: So uh, a little less than a third is not avoidable. So that's banana skins and eggshells. And obviously no one's going to eat that. But the rest of it is avoidable edible food waste. Um, And about half of that avoidable edible food waste is leftovers. So just cook too much and then people don't want to eat it. Um, And then the other half is that it goes off in time before we can use it often It hasn't actually gone off, but there's uh, misunderstanding around date labels Um, and overly cautious consumers who aren't comfortable using their own judgment to determine the safety of a food will throw something away that may have, you know, days or weeks left on it. If you take a yogurt, for example, or cheese, you know, that will have a use-by date on it, but anyone who knows their way around a kitchen knows that cheese, you know, you can just... Like, first of all, it's good for a very long time, often tastes better the longer, the more it ages. Um, And second of all, if there's a little bit of mold, you can just chop that off. So that kind of common sense approach to to food is is missing for many people who aren't familiar with um, or aren't comfortable in a kitchen. I think it's about having just a general awareness of what is in your refrigerator. One of the things I like to tell people um, is my favorite tip, is to create an eat-me box. You just put it right front and center in your fridge. And then as you're noticing things that are getting close to the end of their edible life, put them in the eat-me box so that you select them first when you open the fridge and you don't have things sort of, you know, hiding away in the deep, you know, the bottom crisp part of the crisper. And you're like, oh gosh, you know, I never got around to eating that nectarine when it would have been perfectly edible. And by the time you get to it, it's slime. So it's about having a better sense of an awareness of, 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 of the food that you buy um, and then doing the mental math to sequence your Consumption in a way that optimizes for eating everything that you buy, which is obviously good for your wallet um, and for the planet, and it's also just fun. Like I always look at my kitchen and think that you know I have to do, you know, it's I, I like the challenge of trying to have a zero food waste kitchen.
0: Is there any stigma associated with food sharing or taking food or giving away
2: food? That's a great question. Um, There could be, I think, Um, but actually we work incredibly hard to position sharing food as just simply something that any modern um, conscious consumer would do as part of living a sustainable lifestyle. Um, I'd also like to point out that food sharing is something that humans have been doing for millions of years and it's um, a key reason as, as to why our species has been so successful. Um, you know, sharing something of value with another human, we are hardwired to, to get a, an endorphin rush from that. And that feels really good. In the same way, we're hardwired not to let things of value go to waste. Um, this is something that um, we're basically making it really easy to do, to connect people to do something we've been doing for millions of years um, and to, to experience that magical feeling of, of giving. Um, the other thing is that um, it's really important that Olio is not just about the haves, giving to the have-nots, because um, then that quickly introduces a stigma Um, to collecting food. And the the sad reality is that um, the scale of food waste dwarfs the scale of of, of food hunger, which is really horrible to think about given that there are over 8 million people living in food poverty here in the UK. But we have um, so much more food waste. So it's really important that it feels like it's inclusive, that everyone is involved, that it's an aspirational thing to do. um, And it's not, yeah, it's not about, there should be no stigma with sharing food.
0: So that was a really great conversation. I learned a lot. What did you think? No, it was interesting. Uh and I as always when when listened you
1: feel inspired uh by the creativity and by this interesting entrepreneur and also I have to say, um, I'd like to see if I put the embassy on some of these apps because I'm not sure we're wasting a lot of food here, but maybe it would be a nice thing to see if we can contribute as well. And then it was interesting to hear, I mean, they got a bit of also of resistance. Uh, You had Niklas Ekstead there and uh, coming from a slightly different perspective, and I think it made the the conversation more interesting.
0: I think Niklas provided a really great perspective from kind of the slow food, original kind of fire perspective, and he really... Kind of, there was a tension with the apps and and in the technology. I thought was really fascinating.
1: But in a way, they were both. I mean, they both agreed that something should be done. Of course. And uh, and, uh, and about food waste. And I mean, I think he was quite supportive of what they were doing. But it added sort of a big, a, a sort of different perspective on 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 the nature of the challenge. But he's always the star. And it was nice again, the Swedish and British companies uh, uh, working. I mean partly competitive but not so much working slightly different uh, angles to the problem Um, but um, you know both showing that there are interesting things happening in London and Stockholm and I mean the Swedish companies that were here they're in the process of trying to establish themselves in the UK and the British companies that we heard from Olio for example in the process of trying to enter the Swedish market
0: and I think it's interesting to see Jamie Oliver and and Exted across the street from each other in Stockholm Thank you so much. That brings us to the end of another podcast. Thank you so much for your hospitality, Ambassador. Um, Looking forward to next time. Thank you so much.